So what you need are processes that allow you to distract the doorman of the mind so he buggers off for a tea break so you can get into that computer control room and Mm -hmm. install, metaphorically, positive antivirus software for your brain, for your personal laptop computer, and also delete the level of emotional negative charge connected to them Mm -hmm. so they don't bother you as they once did in the past up to that moment. Midlife ladies. This is the Dear Midlife Podcast. Unapologetic girl talk that will help you remember who you are and figure out who in the hell you want to become. I'm Shelby Bybee, karaoke party queen, single mom, and an extrovert to a fault. And I'm Trinity Greenfield, a wild-haired woman full of sass, sparkle, and a heavy dose of black girl magic. So grab a glass and let's dive into the messy middle. So our guest today was born into the circus and he became the youngest paying clown at the age of three. Survived a near-death experience by being mauled by a puma, was bullied throughout his life, attempted suicide, and overcame a series of addictions. Holy shit. Look, Jonathan Royal has lived... 10 lifetimes in just the shortest span of 47 years. And yes, ladies, he is right here with us all smack dab in the middle of life. And he brings with him a bit of insight to our show today as we talk about his personal trauma and what he did to overcome his own challenges. Jonathan brings both levity and a wealth of knowledge to the show as a celebrity hypnotherapist master NLP hypnosis trainer and author of the book, Shitnosis, which helps readers get over the shit in their lives and get their shit together. So girl, if you have your own shit to get over, I know I do. Shelby, Shelby does too. Well, I got shit. Okay. We all have it. This episode is for you. And now We will use Jonathan's persuasive techniques to will you to leave a review for this show and let us know what shit you want to get through, honey. (laughs) And now, ladies and gentlemen, because we know you out there, baby, listening. Yep. We welcome to the ring, Jonathan Royal. Jonathan, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for asking me on, Shelby. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm so excited. And you have a really unique and interesting history. So I'd love to just start there and get a little bit about what is your history and what led you to become a hypnotherapist? Right. Well, warning for viewers and listeners, this sounds batshit crazy, okay? (laughs) Um, Some of this will definitely sound batshit crazy. So to mitigate, because some of it sounds... Well, some of it sounds science fiction and some of it sounds made up, <laughs> which is why I put together a web page and it doesn't sell anything. So it's not trying to sell you anything. It's just a place where there are press cuttings, photographs, videos and links to third party independent verification that what <laughs> I'm about to talk about is actually true and not the science fiction <laughs> it sounds like. And that's magicalguru.co.uk where my life story is. So, yeah, to answer the question, now that, you know, there is evidence out there to back up yes, some of these Yes, there is things. the truth. <laughs> yeah. um, I was born on the 13th of August, 1975, okay? 
uh, into a show business family. Um, my parents were travelling with Gandhi Circus here in England and my dad was doing a, a... Well, he was performing both as Tizzy the Clown, a circus clown, and also he did an act under the name The Amazing Etna, which was a, a yogi fakir act. That's F-A-K-I-R, in case anyone misheard me. I wasn't swearing. That's where <laughs> he was fire-eating, lying on beds of nails, okay. dancing on broken glass. Yogi fakir type stuff and my mum was doing her sharpshooting wild west western act now as is the way on the circus they encourage people to learn from an early age uh each other's skills so that if somebody's injured the show can go on as it were hmm. but also it's so that you can kind of earn your keep the younger that can get you involved in the show the better and so it was that i was destined at the age of three and a bit in December, it was around November, December time, 1978, that I made my performance debut uh, age three and a bit as Flap the Clown. <laughs> I know. And the embarrassing uh, photographs are at that web link I mentioned. You can see a picture of me in the circus ringers, three and a bit with this grey wig on and a big red nose and the funny outfit and whatnot. And I kind of didn't have a choice in that. I mean, it's not that I'm sat here saying that I was screaming and kicking, going, no, I don't want to do right. it. No, it's just I grew up in an environment where it just it naturally kind of happened. I didn't, it wasn't something I picked, but it wasn't something I was against at that time either. And then, because the thrust of this is there was a lot of traumas that led to me becoming mm. a, a, a therapist, which started with some batshit crazy ones. So at the age of four and a bit, I was playing hide and seek with the other kids on the circus. And I hid under what I didn't realise at the time, I wasn't paying attention to, was the Lion Tamers caravan trailer. The general public would have been fine. In fact, I'd have been fine if I'd not crawled underneath the trailer. Right. But I did, hiding there, and there was a baby, well, quite young puma there, as in the wild cat puma, P-U-M-A. Oh, my gosh. And um, it was somewhat surprised to see me crawling underneath the trailer. <laughs> sure you were equally imagine. surprised. <laughs> um scared as well i, I yeah. imagine um and apparently if it had been in a violent mode i'd have been dead in next to no time but mm. apparently it was just being playful although i could have still if i'd not been saved it could have just have accidentally hit the wrong point and killed me as it was i just got ended up with scars on my head down my back and my left ear got ripped off and had to be um oh, reattached so that's why it's smaller than the other ear and why I've got an earring aid these days. Oh. Um, so that was one of the first near near death experiences I had, mm. traumas, you may say. Uh, and then before I was six, so probably about five, roughly, mm -hmm. in America you might not have heard of these. So if, if you go on YouTube, people, and type in P for Polly, G for Green, PG, Tips, T advert, Chimpanzees, and it will come up with these adverts from the 70s and 80s of mm. chimpanzees dressed up like human beings and they dub voices on. And there were comical adverts for oh, this interesting. Uh, tea brand called Brook Bond Tea. And the, the performing chimps from that came traveling with Gandhi Circus one year. And as they were finishing their act, two of the chimps were walked back to the dressing room by their trainer, Billy Day. And at the same time, I'd be walking to the side of the stage or the ring doors when we were in circus, because we did circus and theatres, with my dad to get ready for our next bit. And our paths would cross Billy Day, the chimp trainer, with hmm. two of these chimps. And every day, without fail, he'd turn to me, Dad, and go, you all right, Tiz? 
and it, my dad had turned and go, you're all right, Billy. And in that very moment, that very second, when they were both distracted, whichever was the chimp nearest to me that day used to whack me around the side of the head. <laughs> and apparently I ended up, you know, crying and going, no, dad, he's done it again. They've done it again. So, yeah, I got bullied by chimpanzees uh, twice a day, six days a week <laughs> from uh, um, an early age, which was, I wish it was not true, but it is true. Uh, that was the start of um, the bullying. And then my mum, because she didn't come from a, a show business background, she wanted me to have more of a normal, whatever the heck mm. that means. Right, what is that? Uh, what she perceived to be normal background. So by the time I was six and a bit, she'd got a house and settled down in one place rather than traveling town to town and my dad still traveled with the circus but the idea was I would go at weekends uh evenings if the show was near enough by and in old school holidays and perform still mm-hmm. but I'd go to a normal school rather than traveling around which was all well and good except that very shortly after I started at that school the Daily Mirror a big British National Daily Newspaper ran an article, Alex, because that's my birth name, Alex, Alex the Circus Six Hit. And that article's on that webpage. Again, I've been in the media before then, but this appeared just after I started at that school and the teachers saw it and those teachers started to make my life a living hell. Mm. They bullied me, they victimised me to the point where I begged my mum that I wanted to change school, but there wasn't another school in the close proximity of where we were living. And it took them the best part of nearly two years for us to be able to move somewhere where there were other school options. And I'm glad to say that then when I started at the school there, the teachers were fantastic. Anytime I appeared in the media, they were supportive. And that, that was brilliant. Unfortunately, the bullying started from other pupils. So I was getting it as, oh, you're a weirdo, you're a circus clown and you come mm-hmm. from a circus family and... And, you know, whoever said sticks and stones won't break my bones, but names will never hurt me, was talking complete and utter bollocks. Yeah. Excuse the language. Repetition. Words are, are like weapons. Um, but also there's quite often physical. Things went downhill from <laughs> It was yeah. bad enough before, but things went downhill from there. And the only time when I felt not attacked, the only time when I felt truly worthwhile... Mm-hmm appreciated love is when I was performing and an audience clapped at the right time or laughed at the right time. You'll often hear, you know, rock stars and film stars and people in show business in general talking about the reason why they ended up turning to drugs or drink or or whatever is because normal life didn't match up to that feeling they got when they were performing. Sure. And that, that issue was already becoming, I was getting anchored to needing uh, you know, audience appreciation to try and balance out the negativity I was feeling from the constant daily bullying. And to a degree, it helped, but not enough. In fact, by the time I was 12, things were so bad that one day I, well, it occurred to me that if I lay down in the middle of Queen's Park Road, which was the busiest main road in Haywood, mm-hmm. and this was around winter fall time when it got darker quicker, traffic wouldn't see me and it'd be all over and done with pretty quick. Yeah. So I did lie down. It seemed like I was laying there forever. Now, in later years, I realised that time is a weird, weird thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you can meet someone you haven't bumped into for years and go for a coffee with them. Think you've been having a chat for 20 minutes, then look at your watch and several hours have just flown by. Sure, sure, flown by, yeah, sure. And conversely, you know, if you've got a normal job, you might get called in for job appraisal with the boss. (laughs) And it feels like you've been in there for an hour, but you walk out and it was only five minutes. Yeah. 
Our subjective experience of time is a weird one. So I can't sit here and honestly tell you how long I was laid in that road. Yeah. I don't know. It seemed like forever. And this was a road that never seemed to be quiet. Hmm. And yet this day, no traffic seemed to suddenly come along. Hmm. And I got fed up. And I ended up standing up and walking back to the sidewalk. And the moment I put my foot on the pavement, sidewalk, depending where you are in the world, I suddenly heard this whoosh. And I felt this draft. And I turned my head and a massive articulated lorry truck had just flown by and then another one then cars then another truck and it just and it was as I knew that road to be yeah constant traffic you couldn't get across it and I got onto the pavement and in that moment excuse the language but I I shit myself (laughs) which is later when we get to it part of the inspiration for why my book's called shit knows this I love it yeah and call it synchronicity or a sign a signal god knows but I was in the library a short while later, uh, you know, whether it was days or weeks later, but I was getting out some magic books from the adult library. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that just to the right-hand side, they'd always been there because the Dewey Decimal Library book numbering system right. has always been the same. So the books would have always been located in the same place. Mm-hmm. So I, I just hadn't noticed them before. But this day I noticed the spine of a book called The Power of Auto-Suggestion by Emile Couet, a French guy who's no longer with us, E-M-I-L-E, Emile Couet, C-O-U-E. He's best known for the personal positive self-affirmation of day by day in every way. Hmm. I'm feeling better and better. Or slight variation is day by day in every way, I'm getting better and better. Yeah. So I got this book and I read it and I started using these personal self-affirmations. And, you know, they did give me more resilience to help mm-hmm handle the bullying a bit better in Woodley and not feel quite as down but it wasn't a miracle cure no No. it was still an issue I still felt best when I was performing but I learned a few other techniques from this book he had a thing he taught called the law of reversed effort this is the idea that what resists persists or that you get more of what you focus on in life now this is why billions of pounds worth of self-help books sell every year it's one of the reasons But yet people keep buying self-help books and it doesn't seem to alter their life for them. This is because, one, people read them and expect a miracle. They don't put them into action long enough. And the other element is sometimes they take them a bit too literally or or they misunderstand what's explained. And, for example, they might start saying to themselves positive affirmations like, I am no longer poor. No, bad, bad. Because you're suggesting to your mind, your unconscious, your subconscious, mm-hmm. your personal laptop computer, the possibility that you could be poor. You, mm. the, the pause in there. Far better it would be to be saying to yourself on a daily basis, day by day in every way, I am getting richer and richer. Mm-hmm. Now, then even if you only got, you know, a teeny incy wincy bit more successful or only may found a penny on the floor your conscious mind will go yes this is a sign yeah. it's careful phraseology I could take ages explaining that alone but anyway i was using that on the one level and then there's what he what i call the yoda principle it's if you look watch at star wars master yoda tri- teaching mm-hmm. luke skywalker he says mm-hmm. do or do not there is no try it's this idea that if somebody says to you, you invite them to a party, they go, I'll try and get there. You can pretty much guess nine times out of 10, they're not going to show sure. up. Yeah. If somebody says they're going to try to do something, you're giving yourself a massive suggestion mm-hmm. that there's the possibility you won't be able to do it. Because otherwise you just do it. You wouldn't say you'd sure. try. 
So there's that thing. And that's why stage hypnotists who get people, for example, to put their hands together and then imagine they're locking, gluing, welding, cementing. At the end, they'll go, just try to separate your hands. Prove to yourself they've locked. Just try. Because that word try implies that there's the possibility they won't be able to open the hands and makes it more likely that they go, I can't open my hands. I've become hypnotized. So I learned that as well. And then I also learned about a thing called pattern interrupts. Mm -hmm. And and, an easiest way to describe that is that in most countries in the world, there are places where this is not culturally acceptable, I know. But generally speaking, England, America, if you put your hand out like that Mm -hmm. towards somebody, they'll put their hand out back, hands will connect, and handshake takes place. For sure. Um, So, However, if I was to put my hand out towards you and you brought your hand to come towards mine, thinking that you were going to connect hands and handshake. But I then suddenly grabbed hold of your wrist, moved your hand round and started moving it towards your face. As I said, stare directly at your hand. And as you do, your hand comes closer to your face. And as it does, your eyes start to close down. Your head falls forward, forward. And I started saying and doing certain things. Hmm. It would cause confusion and disorientation to occur, sensory overload in your mind. And in that moment, the critical faculty analytical area or executive function, call it what you will, the kind of doorkeeper of the mind, mm. would go, what the hell's going on? And go into that freeze state of fight, flight, freeze, like the rabbit in the headlights, don't know what's going sure. on. Uh, 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 uh. And in that moment, any suggestion or command given would be able to sneak past and get yeah. into the unconscious, subconscious mind, the personal yeah. net computer and take effect. That's kind of what hypnosis is. And I woke up one morning and I thought, I've nothing to lose, because by this point, I was at high school, secondary school in England. Mm-hmm. And it was almost a daily ritual. The school bully would come up, pin me against the wall. Mm. His, his gang would be there laughing. He'd then F and Jeff and give insults. They'd be laughing more. Then he'd hit me, let go, and walk off with them laughing, following them. So I thought, I've got nothing to lose. I'm going to get hit. So the next day, as the hand started to come towards me, I suddenly went, what are you effing waiting for, you effing idiot? Why don't you just forget your effing time-wasting insults? And why don't you just effing try and hit me? Go on, try and hit me now. At which, by about that point, he got me towards the wall. But suddenly, it's like, oh, this could be the sensory overload they were talking about in the book. It's confused and disorientated him. Mm-hmm. It's interrupted the pattern of what he expected to be the normal yeah. course mm-hmm. of procedure. And at the same time, I've said, go on, try, try and hit me, this law of reversed effort, the order principle. And suddenly he let go of me, turned to his gang and said, follow me, fellas, then turned to me and said, don't effing come near me ever again. Well, I had no intentions of doing, obviously. (laughs) Never came near me again. And that was the day that I realised, you know what, words can be weapons. Mm. Words can be weapons that not just get used against you, Mm-hmm. but that you can use to protect yourself. And this made me want to investigate further. And again, could be synchronicity or could it just be that I was in a different state of mind then mm-hmm. so that my reticular activating system, the bit in the brain that car buyers find it, you know, they buy a brand new, yeah. say, <laughs> blue car, a certain model of car. And they've seen very few of them on the road near where they live. They buy one and then they're driving around and they seem to see every other car is the same right. as theirs. There isn't suddenly a lot of new cars appeared local to where they live. It's just that they weren't focused or tuned in on it before. Mm. It's the way our brains work. So 
I noticed an advert shortly after that. I was 13 and a bit when I saw the advert. And it was a business opportunity section in there. And it said, train to be a certified clinical hypnotherapist hmm. and learn the secrets of the stage hypnotists. And I thought, oh, hypnotherapy might help me, you know, feel better. And stage hypnosis, great. I can perform and I'm getting the love and affection right. from an audience. So I sent off the stamped addressed envelope for the prospectus. It came. This was pre-internet days, 1988, this was, to be okay. precise. And for the course, correspondence course, it was 125 United Kingdom pounds sterling, which at that time, because the exchange rate was very different, in realism was about 250 United States dollars. Now, remember, this was 1988, so it was worth a lot more money then than now. And I was only 13 and a bit, but I don't, so it's quite a sum of money, but I I, I don't stuff from my magic show. So I, I paid for it. I studied yeah. the course. I lied about my age because apparently it said you had to be 18 to take the mm-hmm. course, you know, but I figured it's correspondence. They're never going to see me. I'll be right, fine. right. <laughs> I did it. I passed with flying colours and then I felt guilty. So I contacted oh, right. Dr. Brian Howard, who ran it and came clean that I was, by the time I took the exam, it was 1989 and I'd just mm-hmm. turned 14. And I said, I'm actually only 14. And after him being angry and he said, I'm disappointed you lied and all that, I said, well, you wouldn't have accepted my application, would you? And he went, well, no. I said, well, there you go. I said, what do we do now type of thing? He said, well, at the end of the day, you passed the exam and you passed it with flying colours. And So he issued me a new certificate with my correct mm-hmm. date of birth on and, and stuff. And I became the youngest ever member of the Association of Professional Hypnotherapists and Psychotherapists mm. here in England. And that started the path. Unfortunately, I got so caught up with helping other people overcome their habits, addictions, fears and phobias and whatnot that I took my eye off the ball and didn't use the techniques on myself. So by the time I was in my late teens, I was drinking too much, smoking cannabis, taking cocaine, gambling and all the other forms of escapism and hedonism you can think of because I hadn't sorted my own shit out. And yet here I am getting successful results, helping other people to change their lives for the better, which is Mm. mental. But then I did wake up one day and I realised you're doing better than average for your age. You're doing really well as a stage hypnotist. You're appearing on TV. You're treating celebrity clients. You're earning all this money. And yet you're spending more than you're earning. Yeah. Something's not right here. And I literally just went, that's it. Don't buy any more drugs. Cut down the drinking. Stop smoking. And it was literally like that, which sounds, again, like bullshit. No, it wasn't easy. No, it wasn't. However, that is when I was forced into to overcome the cravings and all this, that, the other, using the techniques that I was helping other people with Mm. on myself, Mm -hmm. which I eventually finally did, thank God, to help heal that inner wounded child, metaphorically, that was in there from the past traumas which is part of what I you know cover in the book so yeah that was the path and then I'm glad to say that from late teens having dealt with shit I was in a far better place then and actually found that I got even better results in helping other people once I'd sorted my own bloody Mm -hmm. that's how incredible story (laughs) yeah that's the weird path it took to yeah to get to this place So I want to unpack this a little bit because I find hypnotherapy really fascinating. And so 
Number one, let's just start with the definition. What is hypnotherapy and how is it so powerful to helping others and how are you using it? Okay. There's a lot to unpack there, actually. My view, Mm -hmm. and I was incredibly lucky that Dr. Brian Howard from the Association of Professional Hypnotherapists and Psychotherapists, he was kind of unique in his honesty of what, what he taught. It went against the grain. So that opened my eyes to a lot, and I had a different view on this. So my answer to it, which is based on my experience in the past several decades of helping Mm -hmm. other people, is that hypnosis doesn't exist. Okay. There's no such thing as hypnosis, at least not in the way that most hypnotists would want you to believe there is, as some kind of special state. There is nothing special about it whatsoever. All hypnosis is is the correct use of verbal and non-verbal communication techniques with positive intent when you're using it in therapy. But yes, I'll say up front, there are people who use it with negative intent. Sure. To emotionally and psychologically manipulate somebody to either stop doing things they're currently doing they don't want to do Mm -hmm. or to start doing things they're not doing that they want to do. Now, that becomes possible because of what I call Royal's Hierarchy of Emotional Needs, which is what I call it in the book. Now, uh-huh. people have no doubt heard of Maslow's Hierarchy of Human Needs, but just looking at the psychological elements of it, it's my experience and observation that all human beings, whether they're consciously aware of it or not, in order to operate without having habits, addictions, fears and phobias, to not have stress, anxiety, depression, panic attacks, to not have any of the negative stuff going on, mm-hmm. they need to be fully, completely balanced uh, and whole as okay. a human being. So they would need to feel fully loved, wanted, mm-hmm. needed, appreciated, cared for, cherished and valued. Mm-hmm. Those all sound very similar, but if you get a thesaurus and uh, check out the meanings of loved, wanted, needed, appreciated, cared for, cherished and valued. They're actually all very different Hmm. in so much as if there's an imbalance in one or more of them, it'll be different for everyone. Some people have imbalances in them all, some in one. But if there's any imbalance or negative impact or mini trauma in life affected any of them from birth to about teenagers, then it will have a knock-on effect on the person's self-confidence, mm-hmm. their self-image, their self-esteem, and their self-control, aka willpower. And mm-hmm. if there's any imbalance on any of them, consequently has a knock-on impact on their self-esteem, their self-love, their self-respect, and their positive selfishness. And that means mm-hmm. their ability to look after number one first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if there's any negative impact on them, ultimately it will make them feel as though there's something missing. Interesting. It will affect their self-identity, mm-hmm. their sense of self. And if there is anything missing or an imbalance that's rippled through that, that I've just mentioned, then at some point as a, a kind of, it's like the person's mind and body manifesting something negative to try and make them wake up and do what's needed to put things right to balance things out it will manifest as a habit an addiction a fear a phobia or an emotional or mental health issue in some way something negative will transpire to try and wake them up that you need to do something about this now 
the only way to long term sustainably overcome a habit, addiction, fear of phobia, stress, anxiety, depression, panic attack, whatever, is there's numerous ways out there that will help you short term, but they've not dealt with the underlying things yeah. that cause that in the first place. So sooner or later, you'll get what's known as, well, you'll either relapse sure. somewhere down the line, or you'll get symptom substitution, which is something else negative or manifest <laughs> as the external right. wake up call that you've not dealt with the underlying things. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you have to go back and relive all those traumas no. that we've all had from birth to teenage years. And I'll explain what I mean by traumas in a minute. In fact, direct opposite. I say, no, I don't want to be mind raping my clients. Mm-hmm. You've already gone through the trauma. Why should you ever go through it? Again? Right, don't relive it. Which is why all of the techniques in my book and all the ones I use with clients are what they call content free. Right. I don't need to know the underlying reasons. You don't need to relive them. Hmm. You just need to accept the fact that there will have been traumas from birth to around the teenage years. However insignificant those may have been, I'm not saying that everyone's been sexually abused or physically beaten up. No, some people have, unfortunately. But everyone's had traumas that at the time they happened were almost like the end of the world. And by that I mean, imagine the three-year-old at a birthday party. All these blooms come out and they notice one green bloom and they want it and they grab it. And in that very moment, that second, the three-year-old with the magic of imagination Mm. turns that into a magical fairy kingdom castle in their mind. And suddenly an adult walks past and accidentally knocks them and the child falls over onto the balloon and it bursts. So the child starts crying. Now to the adult, the child's crying because of the loud noise of the balloon and the balloon breaking. Mm. So it would... You know, they might laugh or they go, oh, it's okay, Bloom. But at no point is the adult going to go, oh, I'm so sorry that, um, you know, your magical fairy kingdom castles got destroyed. Yeah. But to the three-year-old, losing that magical fairy kingdom castle Mm -hmm. in that moment can be as traumatic in terms of a trauma imprint on your Mm -hmm. personal network computer as losing a loved one or family member in a car crash could be as an adult. It seems laughable, the idea as an adult maybe, to go three-year-old balloon bursting mm-hmm. at a party. That could affect me in adult life and contribute to me having a habit, addiction, fear, or phobia. Well, well I'm here to tell you, yes, it can. Hmm. And it can be daft, what seems like, from an adult perspective, daft things like that that have happened at the age of being a baby, one-year-old, two-year-old, three, seven. At 10-year-old, it could have been the teacher who said, you're not good enough, that goes an imprint. Until when you're around puberty, around puberty, thereabouts, I mean, Sigmund Freud, Sigmund Freud, sorry, Mm -hmm. said that the formative years were zero to seven. In my experience, it's birth to around puberty, Hmm. Uh, which also conventional psychology kind of is more in line with because they talk about the executive function of the brain Mm -hmm. taking effect in mid to late teens. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I say that the executive function is pretty much the same thing as the critical faculty analytical area, or as I like to think of it, a nightclub doorman that goes, you're not coming into the uh, personal laptop computer, right. we're not having you mess with it. The thing is that you don't have that till about teenage years, so any little trauma does go in, mm-hmm. and it's then suddenly, at teenage years, you get the doorman, 
and you can't get to them. So whatever conscious effort you put mm. into trying, trying that negative word again, yeah. trying to feel better or, or do better is unlikely to succeed because your laptop computer is running programs that say that that isn't reality. So mm-hmm. what you need are important ritualistic processes that allow you to distract the doorman of the mind so yeah. he goes, what's going on, and buggers off for a tea break. <laughs> so you can get into that computer control yeah. room, talk to your head engineer, mm-hmm. and install, metaphorically, positive antivirus software for your brain, for your personal laptop computer, and also not delete the memories of the things that took place. No. That isn't possible. What you can do is delete the level of emotional negative charge connected to them mm-hmm. so they don't bother you, worry you, or concern you as they once did in the past up to that moment so that you can let go of all that self-blame, shame, guilt, regret, fear, frustration, failure, anger, anguish, anxiety, resentment, remorse, all the negative shit, mm-hmm. hence shit doses. You can let go of all the negative shit that you were kind of up to that moment emotionally constipated with. Yeah. You let go of it and it, well, it feels like having a good shit, excuse the metaphor. <laughs> it's just such a sense of relief right. to let it go. You purge it off. And then, then you can allow the doorman to come back on duty when you come out. At that point then, when you consciously go, I'm going to do X, Y, Z in life, you're not trying to run a conflicting program to what mm-hmm. the computer and the computer, the imagination will always win. Yeah. So you've got to get in there and, and deal with the inner child stuff and help the inner child feel mm-hmm. loved, wanted, needed, appreciated, cared for, cherished and valued to build up the self-confidence, self-image, mm-hmm. self-esteem, self-control, to repair that self-respect, self-love self-worth and positive selfishness. So the person can feel whole again, their self-identity, is yeah. strong and that is what all my work's about and what hypnosis in particular is about helping people to do in the comfort and privacy and safety of their own home without having to spend a fortune on seeing therapists because what i've done is i've got a lot of these things qr oh, coding. Wow. interesting okay cool so you can just scan it with your device and there are online videos it takes you to where i demonstrate the techniques and teach you how to use them on yourself huh. again content free for everything you can think of. There's techniques for overcoming stress, anxiety, depression. There's techniques for phobias, habits, addictions. Uh, There's techniques for health issues. You know, if you've got chronic pain, it maybe won't necessarily make it disappear completely. I'm not claiming that, Mm. but it'll help reduce it and stop you from having to take ever more chemical painkillers. It can be truly life-changing and it's like 17 United States dollars. and there's no upsell. There won't be a book too. There isn't an upsell at the back of the book going, you need this set of videos. The, yeah. uh, all the videos, they're in there, QR codes. This is literally everything I've found that worked for me mm-hmm. to feel better and stop that voice in my head saying, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Yeah. You know, these are techniques to help that voice end up telling you, you are good enough so that you only end up having a kind of battle with one person. You don't, you don't look around comparing yourself to these bullshit images that the media and social media give us of how wonderful everyone else's life is. No, the only person you'll be competing with is yourself because you'll realise the grass isn't greener on the other side. You can have it as green as you want here by planting, well, 
by watering the seeds of your imagination with positive uh, thoughts, positive actions and positive self-programming techniques, which is what mm-hmm. it's all about, helping you get your shit together and get over yeah. the shit in life. <laughs> I love that. And honestly, I know we're coming close to the top of the hour, but I would love it if you could take us through maybe one exercise that helps to distract that doorman and helps us to get back behind. Yeah. 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 I mean, what, what, there is, there's, um, there's tons of different ones in the book. Okay. Just quickly show you how, how to get the shit out of your head, how to overcome emotional constipation, (laughs) self hypnosis, (laughs) mind bleach, mental antivirus. What we're going to do is called SCAT. Okay which stands for subconsciously charged analytical tapping. Sorry, analytical tapping. I just always <laughs> say it that way because the whole theme is... Right, shit. I got okay? you. <laughs> okay. Enabling you to knock all the negative shit out of yourself. All right. So what you do is... It. Let's knock the negative shit out. Okay. So viewers and listeners, what you can do is, as long as you're not operating any machinery or driving, because then closing your eyes will be dangerous please right. apply common sense, uh, is if it's safe to close your eyes for a few moments, just close your eyes and take a few moments to get a sense of a feeling of something that normally, if you were to think about it or dwell on it too long, might upset you or might make you feel negative. In other words, it's something you would sooner be able to, if it ever got mentioned or jumped into your mind in the future, you'd prefer it not to feel the way it does right now. Mm-hmm. Now, on a scale of zero to 10, with zero being no negative emotions connected whatsoever, and 10 being the worst it ever was in the past, almost like it was you're there again and it happening, just in your own mind, get a, a number, how high up that scale it currently is, the intensity associated to that, then open your eyes. Now, obviously, I can only talk to you, Shelby, but what, mm-hmm. what number up that scale would you give it from, you know, out of 10? I would say eight. Eight at the moment. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone watching or listening will have their own numbers. Some will be lower, some will sure. be higher. That's fine. But you'll all still do the same process that I'm going to do at the same time as Shelby does. Uh, and you don't need to feel daft, you as our listeners, because we're doing it as well. What you're going to start off with is we're going to first of all tap the psychic third eye area, the sort of okay, just between the two eyebrows okay. three times. So we're going to tap there, one, two, three. Okay. Then we're going to tap the base chakra energy point, which is kind of, I'm going to show you, you don't have to take your clothes off, uh, but it's just below the belly button. So it's just literally below the belly button, one, two, three times. Then we're going to tap our left shoulder area three times, like that, one, two, three. Then the right shoulder, one, two, three. Then the top lip, one, two, three. And then we're going to hum, happy birthday. So that was the first time. We're going to do it two more times. Can we do it to the power of three? So three times, psychic third eye, tap it, one, two, three. Base chakra, below the belly button, one, two, three. Left shoulder, one, two, three. Right shoulder, one, two, three. Top lip, one, two, three. Now home happy birthday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Don't if you feel daft. It's meant to. Laughter's the best medicine. Unless you're diabetic, then insulin right. works better. One more time. <laughs> okay, time three. Third eye. One, two, three. Base chakra. One, two, three. 
Left shoulder, one, two, three. Right shoulder, one, two, three. Top lip, one, two, three. And all my happy birthday. Take a nice deep breath in through your nose, then out through your mouth. Just close your eyes down for a few moments and just try, try to get that sense and feeling that you had before where it was a number eight in your case, Shelby, or whatever the, your number is at home, viewers, our listeners. And notice how different it is now. And now you almost, yeah, you almost want to smile like, why did that bother me like that in the past? Because actually, you know what? It's gone. The past is history. The future is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. We live in the right here and now. And notice how much better that makes you feel with each breath you take. And then just open your eyes and allow that to continue making you feel good inside. Now, we only did that once and we've done it in a bizarre situation. But if you had to scale it from zero to 10, 10 up there being the worst it ever was in Mm -hmm. the past, before it was an eight, zero down here is nothing, gone completely. Where would that number be right now? Yeah, I'm going to say it's probably a two right now. A two. So it's really gone dramatically down. And then there will be other techniques that are in the book that would enable you to take that to zero and then weld it positively so it would never bother you as it once Mm -hmm. ever did in the past. And that's just a really quick thing. That one's particularly useful, like... um, if, if you know you were going to go just about to be going into an environment that normally a panic you or stress, mm-hmm. like doing a public talk or something at work, if you just nip to the loo first, lock yourself in the cubicle so nobody can see you doing it, you can do right. that. And the humming bit, you can do it at a very low level. Sure. So nobody, you know, and if, if you so desire, but it's important you do actually make the noise because physiologically mm-hmm. it's making things go on. But what you can always do is play a piece of music on your uh, Mm. form in the cubicle so that nobody right. else can hear it and then once you've done it but do it in mind of thinking of that that used to bother you the idea of going doing that speech in public mm. that's the thing you think of at the beginning to get your uh, calibration the big mm-hmm. number then you do the tapping process and then you notice and you keep doing it till your number's low enough. And I would suggest that getting a number as low as three, two or one, where it was previously eight, nine or ten, mm. will be low enough for you to then be able to just say, you know what? This isn't fear anymore. This is actually nervous excitement mm-hmm. of actually doing mm. something that in the past I used to think had bothered me, but now it won't do. And you're able to go in there and, and things can change that quickly. Some other things take longer than that, obviously. And that's why there's longer, more in-depth techniques in the book as well. Awesome. Jonathan, this has been seriously a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Your story has been fascinating. I'm sure it's been entertaining for the audience. And I can't wait to dive into the book, actually. I shit knows this. How to get Get all the shit in life and get your shit together. Incorporating. Wait for it incorporating oh oh, i've got to get there incorporating (laughs) the fuck that system fully unconscious conditioning knowledge therapy honoring absolute transformation i love it jonathan we will make sure that there's a link to the book uh in the show notes and to your website as well thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story with us today been a pleasure thanks everybody Shelby, the two of you had such a great conversation and I hate that I wasn't there. Oh my gosh. Yes, uh, I know. You guys dug in. That was fantastic. So fun, right? 
Yeah. So let's talk about the top things that we took away. Me, when listening to it, you, when you were talking through it with him. So the first thing that really captured me that I loved is how hypnosis is when actually a pattern interrupt, like disorients the prefrontal cortex or the logical mind. So that suggestion can then slip past into the subconscious. I found that fascinating. Yeah, super fascinating, right? And he also suggested that hypnosis is the correct use of verbal and nonverbal communication techniques to emotionally and psychologically manipulate people, if you will, to stop doing the things that they don't want to do or start doing the things that they do want to do. Yeah, that's really powerful. And then, you know, third, this notion of you have to heed how your brain processes the information that you give it. And the law of reverse effort, which says that what resists actually persists. Mm -hmm. So you get more of what you focus on in your life, even if you're trying to focus it away by not thinking about it, your I'm not doing this is bringing it into the center yes. of your focus. Yes. And then also you have to mind the order principle, which says do or do not, right? This is also Yoda. Y'all heard Yoda. <laughs> Yoda said there is no try. So, amen. Go, right? Go with Yoda. Mm -hmm. Go with Yoda. And you also don't have your critical thinking faculty until about your teenage years. Mm -hmm. So, I found this super fascinating because I always wondered okay, Shit gets stuck in your subconscious, but how does it get stuck there? Well, he explains this by saying that because your critical thinking faculty is not really developed until your early teen years, all the traumas get in there. They get into that subconscious and then they get embedded. And then once that critical thinking faculty or filter gets formulated, they have a hard time getting out. So they get then embedded in the subconscious. And that's why you got to use that pattern to interrupt, to disrupt, disorient. He called it, I think he called it like the bouncer. Yeah. The bouncer, the brain bouncer. That's right. And, and so it, that brings us, I think, really well into our fifth and final point. You have all of these things in, in your mind, these negative memories, these things that you have been through. And you know, you cannot delete the negative memories. Mm -mm. They're there, you can't delete them, but what can you do? You can delete the negative charge that's associated with these negative memories and traumas. And that's how you begin to rewire your brain in order to find the healing that you so desperately deserve. Exactly, and so now, we are going to tell you to go leave us a review. There is no leave try, us ladies. A review. <laughs> there leave is us no a try. <laughs> you are getting sleepy. <laughs> sleepy enough to leave a review. Go leave us a review, girl. Tell us what you love about the show. We need you to share the show with a friend and meet us right back here next week. Where are we going to be, Trinity? Going to be right here, honey, in the middle. Right here.